Good morning. I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning from the New Revised Standard Version. And the scripture is 1 Corinthians, and it's the um, chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when, we, when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Amen. Good morning. My name is Sarah Renfro. I've been friends with Chris for about 10 years. It's my pleasure being here with you. One of my favorite children's books is No Mirrors in My Nana's House. It is a beautifully illustrated book. The prophetic phrase repeated throughout is, the beauty in everything was in her eyes. The child didn't need a mirror to perceive beauty about herself or her surroundings. All she had to do was look in her Nana's eyes to be fully known. The early mirroring we receive from our caregivers is particularly important. Neuroscience now shows that the gaze between a newborn and their loving caretaker creates mere neurons that help a person become compassionate and have empathy for others. When caregivers and infants gaze at each other, their brain activity increases. Parts of their brains literally light up. As a mother of a kind, caring, and very independent nine-year-old daughter, I often celebrate those early days and the mirroring we provided and still provide for each other. I so want her to be fully known, to see her true self in the mirror. But it's not easy. Caregiving gazes give way to worldly pressures, making it hard to see, but dimly in a mirror. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. I had little idea what verse 12, the mirror dimly part, was all about until I went on a trip to Turkey and Greece in seminary. We followed Paul's travels, and I saw for the first time an ancient mirror. It was made of bronze. 
so the image reflected was not clear to see. The reflection was dim. Even in today's mirrors, what is reflected is backward. In the cleanest glass, all we can ever see is a version of ourselves, not the real thing. Paul wants the Corinthians to know that one day, in God's time, they will come face to face with the divine. For now, we have mirrors. I'm okay with that as long as what we reflect is our true self and that we are able to love with God's love the reflection we see. Just as the greatest gift is love, so is the greatest commandment. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. I hear that and believe I must love myself in order to love my neighbor fully. Loving what we see in the mirror is part of loving ourselves. That is much easier said than done, of course. Long before ordained ministry, I modeled professionally around the world for about seven years. I spent hours sitting in front of mirrors, watching as my naked, God-given face made up, often looking years different from my actual age. My hair styled beyond my abilities. Clothes hung on me as if I were a mannequin. The reflection was often startling, so unlike me, even though I knew I was in there somewhere. It might sound glamorous until I tell you how many times I was told to change how I looked. The real me was not good enough for the industry standard of tall, skinny, and smooth, fair skin. I was often told to dye my hair, get clearer skin, lose weight by any means necessary. Over time, looking in the mirror became painful. I know I am not alone. And what we receive reflected in society is nothing if not dim, with lighting, filters, Photoshop, and such. How can we truly love ourselves when we cannot truly look at ourselves? We live in a time where being fully known seems to be a scary and vulnerable proposition. So we alter our image to only project to the outside world a less than clear vision of our personal and professional lives. We present as happy, healthy, and wholesome, even when the world is on fire and there is great pain. Yet we are like the Corinthians in that we argue about who has the best, this or that, who is better at what, who matters, and of course politics and religion. We would do well to heed Paul's words, who was trying to say, People, get it together! You are called to be one body, not divided into parts, but to endure by the love of God and nothing less. You are to be fully who God created you to be. It is also true that we are made in the image and likeness of God, so that we truly do reflect the divine. Rabbi Sandy Sasso wrote in God's Echo, exploring scripture with Midrash. The rabbis teach, an individual produces many coins from the same die, but they look alike. God, on the other hand, could stamp every individual with the die of the first human being, yet not one of them looks like the other. The sages and God loved that sort of diversity. Since human beings are created in the image of God and no one looks like another, 
it is required to look in the faces of all people to catch a glimpse of the vastness of the divine. So individuals from the very young to the very old provide different insights into the divine word. I love that. Paul outlines different insights in so many words in chapter 12. He uses the body as a metaphor. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts. And all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. No part of the body is any greater than another. When one suffers, all suffer. When one rejoices, all rejoice. Paul wishes not for dissension and division within the body of Christ, the church in Corinth, but for wholeness and harmony. He realizes that the people to whom he writes are human. However, they have been given the gift of love, agape love, unconditional divine love, to which we are to aspire, but is already present in our participation with God. This love never ends. Prophecies, tongues, even knowledge will come to an end. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Love is what lasts, yes. And only when we can love ourselves, our whole beings, are we able to love with the love that shows patience and acts with kindness and doesn't hold grudges or keeps score. This is not the romantic love of wedding ceremonies, but the kind of active love that is something to work at. Love may endure in the end, but we will need endurance to sustain the examinations of ourselves individually and collectively. As individuals, we are the many members of one body who must come to terms with what we see in the mirror. Take a long, hard look. Even if the image isn't crystal clear, we must reconcile with ourselves that we are more than what society has to say according to ideal beauty. I am still coming to terms with my own backward reflection. I expect love takes a lifetime. As a collective, a congregation, a big C church, we must reconcile with one another, seeing the divine in our neighbors, our neighbors who look, think, act, pray, and even vote like us, and those who do not, seeing their faces just as God sees them. Boy, is that difficult. I struggle with the news daily, and it is a privilege to be able to walk away from the pain when others live under the constant oppression of white supremacy while I am just swimming in it. Our climate cries out, yet do we recognize the face of God in the lives that are burning or being washed or blown away? People are dying from a virus for which there is no vaccine, and yet we must be willing to wear a mask and see God in those who don't. Paul never says that such love feels good, but true love is not measured by how good it makes us feel. In the context of 1 Corinthians, it would be better to say that the measure of love is its capacity for tension and disagreement without division. 
how we need that in our own time. Can we be both and? Can the members of our beautiful body work together for the sake of love? Although none of us can demand or expect absolutely unconditional divine love from another human being, we can experience very real aspects of it. This helps us to be able to imagine what God's love is like and keeps us open to God's love. It may take holy imagination to envision a mirror in which we can see dimly, and even more, a mirror in which we can see clearly. St. Clair of Assisi often used the image of mirroring in her writings. We are mirrored not by concepts, but by faces delighting in us, giving us the face we can't give to ourselves. Look into that mirror daily, she said. Always study your face in it, so that within and without you may adorn and clothe and gird yourself with all manner of virtue. So by God's grace, you can contemplate blessed poverty, bold humility, and sacred calamity, which are reflected in that mirror. And of course, the ultimate and perfect mirror is the face of God. All the child had to do was look in her Nana's eyes to be fully known. I look in my mother's eyes and see mirrored back a love that has loved me in every stage of my life for 42 years and sees me as worthy and beautiful and accomplished. I look in my daughter's eyes and see a love that enshrines me as the source of life-giving, as nurture, as the ultimate stability of her life that allows her sometimes to love me with a rebellious love, even at the age of nine that wants to define herself. I know those eyes. I know that love. I have done that as well. I look at my husband's eyes and see the love that captures my body and soul and spirit, totally unadorned, yet love is the very essence of me. I look into the eyes of my friends, my colleagues, my church family, and I see a love that reflects the diversity of love that God hoped we would have. And in all of those faces, I begin to catch a glimpse of the vastness of the divine. To know myself, to love myself, does take a lifetime. Just as Jesus said, it requires that I love my neighbor to love myself. So loving across the span of lifetime surprises me and shakes me because in those moments of life I do see the face of God. So live this day just as it is. Live it. Just love this day. Whoever you may encounter, just love them. Look into the eyes of others there's older or younger, richer or poorer, left or right, gay or straight, or whatever they know to be true for them, black or white or brown, or the great mix of colors. The more diverse, the more opportunity there is to look into reflections that will reveal more of yourself and more of God, which always is the look of love. Let me live this day. 
Let me love this day. Let me look into your eyes. Amen.